Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we're ready for our second uh, post-Acts discussion, and we'll be talking today about um, a really powerful theme when we really settle down and kind of read through Acts, and that's talking about persecution and really the reaction of the disciples to that persecution throughout the book of Acts. Yeah, this is a super powerful subject for, for me especially. Um, we are very blessed in the country that we live in here in the United States. Um, we're not going through a persecution like we see in the book of Acts at all, and we're very blessed to, to be going through what I would call a peaceful time in the history of God's people um, by far. But that doesn't mean this isn't an important topic. Uh, th- this is something we have seen consistently through the book of Acts. And, you know, Steve and I, we've made pit stops here and there and talked about it as the, as the episodes have, um, you know, went through them. But today we're going to specifically focus on the overwhelming amount of passages that deal with this subject in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because persecution takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes we have something in particular in mind when we hear the word persecution or opposition. But it can take lighter forms and heavier forms. And um, I do think it's important to note, just as we talk about this, I mean, there are our brethren throughout the world who really are suffering. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book of Acts is a great comfort, I think, to those who are suffering. And we don't know the future. Uh, it may well be that persecution ramps up here. And I mean, Paul writes to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus yeah. will be persecuted. One of the helpful things to do with really any New Testament book of the Bible is to think about the original audience that it was intended for. And I specifically think about that for the audience that would be reading the book of Acts or I don't know. I don't know what they would have called it. Um, you know, <laughs> Luke part two, maybe. Luke <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they would have been calling it. But I mean... It's so encouraging to think about in, in these days of heavy persecution against the Lord's church early on, getting to read these stories about your brethren who have been bold and courageous through persecution would be such a comfort to the early Christians. And so uh, we too can find a source of comfort in these stories of the boldness and courage of the early Christians um, in the book of Acts. Yeah. So well, we were going to kind of do this is we're going to try to look first at just examples of persecution and different forms that that takes, and then look at how the disciples reacted to those different things. There'll be, of course, some overlap as we go through, but we want to just think about the example that this book is to us in both the forms of persecution and in the um, reactions that we ought to have. There's a lot of different ways we could react. So we'll start in Acts chapter 4. Uh, The gospel really finds a lot of favor with the people initially in Acts chapter 2 when the 3,000 are baptized and then increases to 5,000. But the first opposition that we find is really in chapter 4. And this is right as Peter and John have, by the power of Jesus, healed this lame man. And the uh, Sadducees and the priests hear about it in Acts chapter 4 verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
but many of those who'd heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Yeah, so this is like the first kind of piece of opposition that we're seeing in the book of Acts mm-hmm. so far. Um, and I think I would mentioned it in a previous podcast. In my readings of the book of Acts, it's always like persecution or opposition is always on the horizon when good things happen. Um, but the church finds ways to work through it, which is a point we'll make a little bit later. But it first started here with the two apostles, Peter and John. Yeah, they're just arrested here. So um, we're going to see they're brought before the council. You know, they're kept in prison until the next day. And they, uh, of course, take the opportunity to preach the gospel uh, to the Jewish leaders again. And they tell them, you know, of course, they uh, tell them in verse 18, they called them uh, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they're, they're arrested. They are told, you do not do this anymore. You stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And of course, their reaction, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for our praising God for what had happened. And so you see they, they there's not any physical harm yet that comes to Peter and John. We'll see a lot more of that later. But they threaten them. They're, they arrest them. They threaten them. And... Um, because of the good standing of the gospel, they're still a little afraid of the people. <laughs> so they don't do anything further to them at this point. So it's just interesting to see in this chapter, even though it's comparatively light, the apostles are just so bold. And they're like, we're not going to stop. You know, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. And that's just so helpful to see that we are to be submissive to government. But if the government comes against Christians and tells you you can't teach in the name of Jesus, our our mission is clear. Our, our our reaction is there's no question about what our reaction should be in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not only something we saw out of the apostles pretty consistently, and we'll revisit more of the apostles stuff in a minute. But it's also something we saw out of the just disciples. Um, we see out of Stephen, for instance, one of the seven in Acts chapter six. Um, Stephen, it tells us, was a man of, of, full of grace and power. He was doing great signs and wonders with the people. And uh, it tells us in Acts 6, verse 10, that the people were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That, that's how wonderful he's doing. And so what they do in verse 11 is they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stir up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came up to him, drag him away, and bring him before the council. And this is key in verse 13. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man insistently speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that the Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Um, And so at this point, there's no physical harm done to Stephen. They're trying him. But it's all based on false claims and false witnesses, uh, which is certainly a form of persecution as well. Some persecution is verbal, and some of it is the form of uh, falsehoods. I mean, Jesus said, Blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I mean, in the Beatitudes, Jesus yeah, said, Great reference. This is going to happen, and uh, some of it's going to be verbal. And it is hard. I mean, verbal persecution, people might say, Oh, well, you haven't really suffered. And I mean, the Hebrew writer will say, You haven't yet shed your blood, you haven't died yet. 
But it's hard to be falsely accused. It's hard to be misrepresented and slandered, whether privately or publicly. Um, and that's what happens to Stephen here. Now, of course, the, he, he will shed his blood in the next chapter, but it starts with arrest and false accusations. And back when we did this episode, we talked about just how similar as what's, what's happening to Stephen is exactly what happened to Jesus. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything to stick against Jesus, and so they made up stuff. Um, and so we would not be surprised if that's something that, that happens to us uh, in the face of persecution, of people saying things about us that, that is just not simply true, or they take something that we believe or teach and they make it an extreme mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, make fun of it in that way. Yeah. I've read different things about the early Christians that one of the things that would happen is because they took the Lord's Supper, uh, they tried to paint the Christians as cannibals. Ah, because... Because they called it the body and blood of Jesus. Right. And so they're like, oh, they get to do this terrible ritual, you know, where they eat flesh and stuff. And, and again, it's just misunderstanding, misrepresentation. But that's the kind of thing that they would do. And apparently also because they called each other brother and sister, they tried to, like, paint that as some kind of, like, weird romantic thing. Oh, man. And, again, just, like, take it the wrong way. And, again, misrepresenting, slandering, taking a grain of truth, and then twisting it. Because the things that they hurl against Stephen here in chapter 6... Jesus did talk about the destruction of the temple. There's some prophecies that he made about that. And he did fulfill the old law and declare all foods clean and things like that. But again, they're grossly misrepresenting what Jesus did and what Stephen is talking about. And we see that happen later in the book of Acts. Like in Acts chapter 16, uh, when they're at Philippi, they uh, come against them and they say, uh, these men are Jews. This is Acts 16 verse 20. Uh, When they brought them... To the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And they don't really specify like what those are, but they're like, these men are causing trouble in the city, which they were not. They were just, all he had done is heal a a Mm demon-possessed girl, um, who was actually kind of the one crying out and (laughs) creating a little more scene than they were. Um, and they're advocating customs that are not lawful. So they're trying to accuse them of breaking the law when it doesn't look like they've actually done anything against Roman law here. Um, and so, again, they're trying to find something on them in the law to, to say, hey, these people are lawbreakers. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to be imprisoned. Um, yeah. And they often succeed in getting to him here, here they're yeah. going to be beaten we'll talk more about that in just a minute and put in prison i mean it kind of reminds me of paul when he was in corinth in acts 18 um he, he was there for a year and a half but he's eventually taken before gallio um who was the proconsul there and the jews with one accord rose up with paul brought him before the judgment seat and they said this man persuades men to worship god contrary to the law <laughs> and i love i love how um uh, gallio responds to that if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, of Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. And he says, guys, really? This is what we're doing here? We're, we're, you guys really don't have anything against him. It's just this vague accusation of he persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And so in verse 16, he drives them away from the judgment seat. Um, and so, again, you just see their want to just throw anything at Paul or any Christian for that matter uh, so that it might stick. And uh, it didn't in that case. Yeah, and I mean, you're going to see similar things later on with Paul. Uh, We won't rehash all of the trials that we just did at the end of the book of Acts, but one that I think is helpful is in Acts 24, 
when the Jews uh, are, are continuing to uh, accuse Paul at these trials and say, like, we've, uh, Acts 24, verse 5, we found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And if you examine him, you'll find out from the Jews everything, you know, that we accuse him. And Paul just calmly says in verse 12, um, they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. And then he just turns it into an opportunity to speak about the gospel. But Paul doesn't feel the need to just like vehemently defend himself. He just calmly says, it's not true. These are false accusations. This is not right. And I appreciate that. That Again, when we're falsely accused, it's very easy to get really defensive and Mm -hmm. really get up in arms against what people are saying about us. But we see Paul and the disciples here on these occasions being very calm, not causing a a counter riot or a counter protest or anything. They're they're just like, no, this is not true. And living in a way that people would believe. Oh, yeah, these, these Christians are quiet people. They're not troublemakers. They're not rabble rousers. They're just trying to do what they think is right yeah exactly um and and what's also important for us to point out that in a lot of cases as well it did go further than just threats and accusations and Mm -hmm. arrests um we also see physical suffering happen um for a lot of these folks in the new testament or in the book of acts specifically uh for starters it started with the apostles right in acts Mm -hmm. chapter 5 um, this is after all 12 of them are arrested, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That's correct. Yeah, now chapter 4, uh, 3 and 4, it's just Peter and John. Then it's all of the 12 uh, in Acts chapter 5. Yeah, in Acts 5, verse 18, they lay hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. And you might remember that it was during the night, an angel of the Lord opens the gates of the prison and tells them to go out and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And I love how it says, upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. It was like, yes, sir. So they're arrested. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're re-arrested after the angel lets them out. Yeah. And And so, so obviously, uh, they weren't happy about that, that they got mm -hmm. out. And um, where is it here in verse um, verse 28? You know, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And. We talked about the irony of that statement anyways back back when we did this episode. But Peter and the apostles simply answered, we must obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. And they just, just, they're just so firm. And this is where they do get beaten. Um, in verse 33. Verse, yeah, well, down in verse 40, it says, um, of course, they want to kill them. Right, but that, yeah, that was their After, intent. you know, Gamaliel calms them down and says, hey, you guys be, got to be careful. Like, you don't want to be found fighting God in this situation. Verse 40 says, when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So now, not only have they been threatened, I mean, everything we talked about at first, kind of the three types of suffering. The first is like arrest, threatening, accusations. Now they are physically suffering. Their bodies are bleeding, probably, from being beaten. And that's a whole other level of like, wow, now I physically am suffering for the sake of Jesus. And love what it says in verse 41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor Mm -hmm. for the name. I mean, Jesus told them in Matthew 10, beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. 
and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus told them it was going to happen, mm-hmm. and it would specifically happen for the sake of being his disciple. You will all be hated because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You know these apostles have that ringing through their head mm-hmm. in this moment of persecution, and there are countless moments of persecution as well. Yeah. I mean, the big one, as far as like kind of zeroing in on persecution, is Saul, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, before he's Paul, uh, he's known for being a, a vehement persecutor of the church. In Acts chapter 8, after Stephen is killed, we'll talk more about that in just a second, um, it says in Acts 8 verse 1, um, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, devout men buried Stephen, made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged mm-hmm. off men and women and committed them to prison. Mm-hmm. So we don't see them being beaten or killed yet in this moment. I mean, of course, Stephen's just been killed. But Saul is just, I mean, it, this would have been a terrifying thing. There you are in your house, you know. And there's, I don't know if there's a knock at the door or if they just break it down. I mean, like, I, for, for I think anyone who grew up in, in history classes and stuff, I think about all those different scenes you see from movies representing the Holocaust. Uh, that's one of the things I imagine, you know, just that knock at the door and just that knowing who's there to come and get you. Um, and that, that was a completely legal thing happening in Germany at the time. And it was a completely legal thing happening in these days as well. I mean, in Acts 9... Uh, whenever Saul is on his way to Damascus, he has papers. He has a legal right to go and do this. Um, and that's just a terrifying thing to think about, just that knock at the door. Mm-hmm. And here they are to take you away. Yeah. And Paul will give a little more detail about what he was doing in Acts 26, actually, when he's looking back on those days. And he says in verse uh, Acts 26, verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I'd only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, like in chapter 9. Uh, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul, I mean, it was all kinds of things. It wasn't just like threats and he would he would arrest them, but he would also apparently punish them. I don't know if that's like beating or whatever it is in the synagogues. And then, of course, when it came time for the Christians to be on trial, he would cast his vote that they should be executed. They should be put to death. And so, man, I mean, this would have been a terrifying time. It's easy for us to read this in the book of Acts without really knowing what that's like at this point. At least I don't know what that's like personally. But it's amazing to see the perseverance of the church mm-hmm. through all of this. Do you think, man, I mean, if you're going to be treated like that for being a Christian, like there's going to be a bunch of people quitting. There's going to be a bunch of people like, this is going to stop the movement. And it just doesn't. They just keep pressing on. No, it's like feeding a fire is one way I've heard it described. It's like every time persecution comes against the church, it's like the people don't realize that they're trying to put a fire out with gasoline. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's just not working. The Lord is able to work through something like that. Um, I guess another one that we see is in Acts 16. Uh, the other instance, where we were talking about Philippi earlier, 
But this is after Paul and Silas are imprisoned. Um, we were just reading in verses 19 through 21 a minute ago. But in verse 22, it says, The whole crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to uh, order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Um, and so Paul and Silas here are beaten with rods. Um, I've never been in a fight before. I have ne I've never been beaten up. You know, I've wrestled with people before, but I just can't imagine being absolutely beaten down by a group of people that just don't like you and don't like what you're saying. I mean, that would be a humiliating thing to go through. And yet that's exactly what Paul and Silas go through. Um, and you also see them as they're fastened, uh, their feet are fastened in the stocks yeah. at night. They're praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They're very comfortable with where they're at um, because of who's on their side. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, they probably still had open wounds at this point. Oh, definitely. Because... Well, it tells us later that the jailer um, help, uh, dresses their open wounds, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. He, he washes, washes their wounds, wounds. Yeah. yeah, when he's baptized. So other examples, Acts 17, um, it says, again, after they falsely accuse them, uh, it says in Acts 17 in verse 5, uh, the Jews were jealous. They took some of the wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Um, they couldn't find them, so they dragged Jason and the others before the city authorities. And they end up, uh, in verse uh, 9, they took money from them and let them go. Um, so they're not exactly... Um, uh, uh, they're... We don't know exactly the extent of the physical damage here, but they are uh, threatened. They're dragged before the the, the rulers. They, they, they make an attack on the house of Jason. I mean, this would be scary to be kind of targeted. Um, and, of course, there's multiple times where Paul is going to be beaten. In Acts 21, we see one of those times where he's almost beaten until he says, hey, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, we'll say, we'll make a further note about that in just a minute, that uh, it, Paul doesn't, the goal of being a Christian is not just to get persecuted as much as you can. <laughs> you know, it's, um, they, uh, when you, they have an opportunity to get out of it, they do. But that Christians endure physical suffering. Um, many of them are beaten um, or otherwise uh, physically harmed in the process of standing up for what's right. Yeah, and I'm just, especially as we go through the podcast today and talk about specifically Saul's persecution, because we'll see a lot of that, or Paul, I should say, I'm just reminded of what the Lord said to Ananias when he was sent to go talk to Saul. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Mm -hmm. um, so Saul definitely has those words ringing through his head as he goes through these things as well. Yeah. Um, but as discouraging as it is to talk about the physical suffering, the beating, the different things that went on, it went further than that. Um, they didn't stop just short of that. They would go on to kill several of the disciples in the book of Acts as well, starting with the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, our yeah. first martyr that's recorded for us here. Yeah, that, and it's interesting that that word we use, martyr, uh, as someone who is killed for a cause, but it's actually the, the Greek word martyr means witness. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that it's the idea of one of the ways that Christians bore witness to the gospel was in dying like Jesus died. 
And it's amazing to think about it that way, that those who gave their lives for the gospel, those who still do give their lives for the gospel, are just pointing people to the one who gave his life. And Stephen is the first one to do that. And of course, there's so many similarities that we've already pointed out. And as he is dying, as they are stoning him, throwing rocks at him until he dies, in Acts 7, verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's how the first martyr dies in the book of Acts. It, it's, it's sobering to think about that, that even in death, there's not spite. There is a, a desire for forgiveness. And it's moving to think about, um, even in the face of death itself, how the Christians reacted to this. Yeah, and um, not only do we see Stephen, one of the twelve, or one of the seven of those servants, being killed, we also see an apostle being killed in Acts chapter twelve. Um, it was James, one of the sons of Zebedee, the brother of John. Uh, we talked about that back in chapter twelve, in verse one. About that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Um, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he actually has Peter arrested. But we know that Peter actually gets out of that. Um, and I, I bet you Peter was doomed for death as well in that moment. Mm-hmm. But James is killed here, put to death with a sword. Yeah. In Acts chapter 7, it seemed like a little more of an impromptu thing where they just like get so mad that they throw Stephen out of the city and stone him. Here, it seems like, I mean, Herod has the authority to arrest James and then have him executed, you know, with the sword here. It's likely beheaded. And scary, you know, again, that the government is like, okay, now they can just take who they want and kill him. And they get a hold of Peter, you know, and now Peter's going to escape by, by God's grace. Yeah, we noted that he's struck by an angel and then Herod is struck by an angel right. a little bit Herod later. Herod does not survive the chapter either. No, and we made the point back there that the Lord is taking care of his people. The Lord is handling this. Mm-hmm. Um, Herod had what was coming to him, and the Christians didn't need to rise up against Herod in anger and, and take vengeance into their own hands. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay, and he did so in that instance. That um, is right. Yeah. We never see the Christians, even in situations with death, there wasn't like a counter-riot There wasn't. Stephen they was didn't killed. have a militia. Like they, right. they let the Lord take care of things. Amen. And uh, we need to understand that. Yeah. Acts 14, uh, Paul is not actually killed, but they think he's dead um, <laughs> yeah. when he's at uh, Lystra. In uh, verse, uh, Acts 14, 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And again, he, he just gets up and goes into the next city. It's amazing to see the Christians' courage in the face of death, and in this case, it doesn't doesn't work. I mean, there are some people who think maybe Paul was raised. It doesn't. The text doesn't say if he was dead or not specifically, um, but they thought he was. They thought they had killed him, and so. But Paul just continues on, uh, again and again and again, facing death. Uh, we'll see that later in Acts chapter twenty-three, where uh, he's in prison. But there's these 40 Jews, you know, more than 40, who say, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they must have starved. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah, either they broke their vow or they they died. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, Paul just continues preaching the gospel to the end. And again, the Lord preserves Paul here. He gets him to Rome. Um, but uh, death is something that Christians have to be ready to face at some point. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, is sobering to think about. Again, we're recording this podcast in a time of relative peace. Um, I don't know of anyone personally here whose life has been threatened like this. But it's something that our brethren in the past have faced and that our brethren in other parts of the world do face. And so we need to just be very careful not talking lightly about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's sobering to think about how little persecution we're currently facing. Um, But to just prepare our minds and to be sober about this, that whatever it is that we face, the Lord will be with us. And it'll be good for us to kind of rewind here and look at how the Christians right. did react because that's, to persecution. That's the question here. All right, so yeah, Stephen Chase, we've looked at all these different forms of persecution, but like, what do we do with that? Is there a takeaway? Is there a greater, bigger picture principle that we can pull away from all these encounters of persecution? Well, for starters, I, we want to point out that these guys, they did take the persecution head on when they had to, but they also ran if they could. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time we really see them running is in Acts chapter 8. Uh, we already read this. This is when Saul, um, he ravages through the church. And specifically in Acts 8 and verse 4, it says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And it immediately tells us about Philip going down to Samaria um, and doing some preaching there. But the early church, just think about the blessing that it would have been for so many of those new Christians to stay together in Jerusalem. You know, all the apostles are there. You know, it would have been just a super comfortable environment to be a Christian in uh, when there are so many others. But when this persecution arises, they're scattered. Mm-hmm. They go away. They, I would say, many of them go back to their hometown, go back to where they were from, uh, as there were 16 different nations represented in Acts 2. And Leaving Jerusalem was fine. I mean, that was the decision they need to make. But preaching the word, that wasn't negotiable. I mean, that, that, right. that was going to stay the same regardless of where they were. Mm-hmm. And um, you see them moving out of the city, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It, 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 there comes a point where we do have to stand and say, well, even if you kill me, you know, like, I'm not going to stop preaching. But there's also times where, when persecution, like when they're coming for you, you, you can't yeah. escape. If you can escape, yeah, that's you, not a wrong thing. Yeah, if you have a heads up and you have a complete right to, to leave and go back home, yeah, avoid it. Go back home, spread the gospel there. Yeah. And that's what we see from there, them there in Acts 8. And, and we see the Christians taking care of each other and taking care of Paul. After Paul is converted, he becomes yeah. persecuted in just the next chapter. Yeah, and that, that's a super cool story. Um, I love just the, the reversal there that Stephen just pointed out from being persecuted to, or being the persecutor to being the persecuted. Yeah. But um, not only does it happen once, but it happens twice in Acts 9. Yeah. That Paul, Damascus and then Jerusalem. Yeah, that's right. The Jews plot to do away with him, and the plot becomes known to Saul. They're watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Like, this isn't a perfect parallel, but I can't imagine, like, people waiting outside my house <laughs> just every day ready to kill me. Mm-hmm. Just a scary thing to be in. But the brethren looked out for Saul, let him down through the basket and the wall of the city, and he gets out and he goes on. And then the same thing happens down in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Down in verse 30. Yep. Yeah. 
And so, again, it's not wrong to run when you have the opportunity to, to get out of a situation. That's okay. Um, Acts 17, um, it, it happens when uh, he leaves Thessalonica. Sometimes he, he goes by away at night, you know, to, to, to avoid capture. And uh, over and over, I mean, Paul is constantly running from town to town. Uh, to try to uh, escape persecution. He usually stays until persecution re- reaches a certain point. Mm-hmm. And um, Acts chapter 20 as well. Uh, Paul is uh, sent away by the brethren um, after he's been in Ephesus for a while. And again, he was wanting to go into that riot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's 19, right. And they're like, even Paul's worldly friends, the the uh, the guys who are uh, officials of Asia, are like, don't go in there, Paul. Like, don't, don't do it, don't do it. Um, and it's also interesting in Acts, um, I think it was Acts what, 21, where he is uh, arrested and they're about to beat him. He does bring up his Roman citizenship at the end of Acts 21, and he avoids a beating by uh, playing the Roman citizen card and saying, you're going to beat someone who's a Roman, right? uncondemned. And uh, they're like, whoa, you know, what? what is this? Oh, excuse me, this is actually um, uh, Acts 22, end yeah. of Acts uh, 22. But, um, yeah, so they, they, they do avoid persecution when they can. But that's not because they're scared of it. It's because there's no need to suffer needlessly right. for the, the cause of the gospel. But as we talked about, when, when it is there and it's going to happen, they face it. They don't, they, under no circumstances, renounce Christ or renounce their Christianity. They take it head on. Um, what's also important to see is not only do they run, they also entrust themselves to God in moments like mm-hmm. this through a lot of prayer and through their trust and faith in him. Um, so in Acts chapter 4, there's a good example of the prayer. I love Acts chapter 4. This is just such a great example of the believers taking refuge in the community of the church. And uh, when they're threatened, here's the prayer. I just want to read this prayer, Acts chapter 4 and verse uh, 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." What a beautiful prayer mm-hmm. that they are like, Lord, you know what's happened. And you said this was going to happen. They quote from Psalm 2 and say that happened with Jesus. And now it's happening with us. So we shouldn't be surprised by persecution. They're like, they're not like, Lord, what? look at what terrible thing. Is it? No, like, Lord, you said this was going to happen. Now it's happened. And they don't even ask in the prayer for them for God to take it away, which is really interesting. Like that would have been top of my prayer list to be like, mm-hmm. God, make it stop. But they say, look at their threats, and help us to speak your word with all boldness. Mm-hmm. That is the prayer of the early disciples, and that's got to be our prayer. Yeah. That we just need to be bold. We need to be steadfast. We can't back down. 
And I think this continued to be their prayer, even when persecution got harder, you know, later on. And so not only should there be prayer for ourselves in the moment of persecution to be bold, but also when we're aware of persecution happening to other brethren, we should be praying for them. Um, In Acts 12, right after James is beheaded, and then like we said, Peter is arrested, we're told in verse 5, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And so I just like to highlight that because sometimes we're not aware of brethren that are being persecuted. But there are brethren out there being persecuted in different countries and in different places. And we need to be praying for them. Uh, And our prayers can be vague. The Lord knows those who are his. Pray for those brethren. Um, And uh, take take the example here because the Lord answers their prayer. Peter is led out. And, uh, of course, they're not exactly convinced that he was led out at first whenever Rhoda tells him about it. But the Lord does answer their prayer. And so we need to be praying for people who are being persecuted as well. And I appreciate here that they continue praying even after James was killed. I mean, I'm sure they were praying for James as well. I mean, it's not like, oh, we didn't pray for James. Now we got to pray for Peter. No, like they've been praying, I'm sure. And sometimes when we pray for someone and the persecution continues, or we pray for ourselves and the persecution continues, we get discouraged. And they don't. They continue praying even after James is put to death. And, of course, the Lord answers their prayers in a different way with Peter. And he does release him, allow him to do more work. I also like Acts 16 when uh, Paul and Barnabas are arrested, uh, excuse me, Paul and Silas, and they're, they're beaten with rods, they're put in the prison, and then their reaction in verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, mm-hmm. and the prisoners were listening to them. Those are people, those are two men who are at peace with God. Yeah. Even in, right in the midst of their suffering, probably still with open wounds. Mm-hmm are praying and singing, which is really interesting. You see there's a joy connected with singing. It's like they're rejoicing, like Acts chapter 5, they're rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer. And the impact of our reaction when we're persecuted affects others. The prisoners are listening to them. And I wonder how many of those guys had the opportunity to hear more about the word because of how Paul and Silas reacted to their persecution with joy. And that's something so important for us to think about as Christians is when we're persecuted, how we respond will tell people a lot about who we serve. Yeah, absolutely. And one last thing we'll point out about the reactions to persecution is they kept right on preaching and teaching the Word of God. They never slowed down. Uh, Like we said, it was like gasoline on a fire. It just kept spreading and spreading and spreading. And when they would scatter, that just sent them into other areas that hadn't heard the gospel yet. Um, And so that's a super cool thing to see. But um, there's a countless number of examples we could go to for this kind of thing. The book of Acts is full of like what you might think of as like progress reports. When they finish something, it'll, it'll give like a summary statement at the end saying like, and here's what kept on happening after this. Uh, so like Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they're threatened, uh, after they prayed, we just read this prayer, Acts 4, 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Mm-hmm. They prayed for boldness, and then they answered that prayer, in a sense, by continuing to speak with boldness. Of course, the Lord gives like this earthquake uh, to confirm, like, hey, I'm with you. Um, keep on going. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one that stands out to me is in Acts 8 and verse 4 that we've already talked about. But this is after the church is scattered. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is full of evangelists. And what I mean by that is they're full of good newsers, people who are out there telling the good news of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter where they were. They were going to keep doing that. And as a result, the church grows because of it. One of my favorite ones is Acts 9, 31. Um, after the conversion of Saul, and again, after a lot of suffering already, um, Acts 9.31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Mm-hmm. Man, so much good to talk about in that verse. But I love the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And the fact that it just keeps growing. It just keeps multiplying. In Acts eleven nineteen, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, they made their way to three places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Three different places are hearing the word now because of the persecution. Acts chapter 12, after Herod is killed by the angel, after he kills James, but then the Lord strikes Herod dead, and 1224, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. (laughs) Even as worldly leaders are passing away, the word of God is not slowed down. You just see this throughout the the missionary journeys, Acts 13, 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 15, 35, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. They keep on preaching. And Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Yeah, Acts 19.20, after some miracles done in Ephesus, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. This is after all those people had burned all their books. Um, and it's also important to point out, too, their preaching and teaching often affected the local economy <laughs> because yeah. people would stop buying the idols, the burning of the books, but the word of the Lord keeps growing mightily and prevailing. Yeah, so there's a bunch of more we could point out, but the, the very last two verses of the whole book of Acts are one more progress report at the end of the book. And in uh, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, While Paul's Paul, a prisoner. <laughs> yep. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's just amazing, is the thing I think we take away from all of this talk about persecution is that no matter what opposition or persecution arises, it never stops the gospel of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. because the Christians will not be quiet about it. And no amount of threatening, no amount of suffering, even death itself, will not stop the message of Jesus Christ because it's burning within the hearts of those who believe it. And the book of Acts ends after all the tough stuff that we've talked about. We don't want to minimize that. It's just that the gospel is more powerful than those things. And the word of the Lord just continues to march on no matter what circumstance. And so we hope that this episode will stir your thoughts in the day that we face persecution um, in some form or another. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I hope we can find some comfort from the book of Acts and find some helpful principles that we can apply in that day. Um, So we really appreciate everyone listening and, and thinking through these things. Lord willing, next week, 
we're going to get to talk about the conversions in Acts and look at the consistency of what it meant to become a Christian through the book of Acts. Yeah, if you guys are enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, uh, rate, review. Um, We'd love to study with you. Uh, If you're going through something hard, we'd love to hear what what you're going through. Um, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or check us out at capitalcitychristians.com.